Harness your strengths, develop a growth mindset, become more resilient and succeed. This is the Commit Podcast with Ireland's leading performance coach, Enda McNulty. When we're looking at the World Cup that's on at the moment, and you look at the success of England and other teams in the tournament, uh, Enda McNulty, mindset is playing a huge part in what we're seeing and how teams are succeeding at this World Cup. What we're seeing at this World Cup is a changing of the guard. I've been fascinated to watch France. Of course, we've all been fascinated to see some of the so-called lesser nations like Iran, or maybe even Mexico, how they are beating and competing some of the best teams in the world and how they're going toe-to-toe with some teams or some countries that have been traditionally very strong in football. The change in the guard has meant that Brazil a traditional superpower, Germany, a traditional superpower, of course, Argentina. This World Cup, those superpowers have been very strongly slain by Davids. They are the Goliaths, and David have been slaying the Goliaths. And from a psychology and mindset point of view, you're seeing the lesser nations being stronger in their psychology and stronger in their mindset than the superpowers. The prime example of that is probably Japan. The mindset and psychology of the Japanese team has been phenomenal. Also, we have to identify the mindset and the psychology of the English team has maybe surprised the world in how they have turned around what's going on in terms of the psychology and the mindset of their players. Maybe let's focus on England for a minute. Um, Paul, What you played in England professionally. Um, there's huge expectation and pressure on England when they go into every tournament. But I've been fascinated with Gareth Southgate and his management and leadership style that he's been able to manage expectations, but at the same time build uh, an ethos there of togetherness that they've all seemed to build in. Might give us your thoughts and, and insights into, into England's success. Yeah, you can see that, Dara. Um, you can see that in the penalty shootouts. You can see that in their training sessions, in their performances on the pitch. There's a real togetherness about the squad. And I felt that that was nearly... You know, evident from the selection of the squad from Gareth Southgate. He picked good characters, he picked people that would buy into what it is he was trying to do. And that's that's probably something that I've not really seen before, particularly in English football. When I look at football and I compare it to the likes of rugby, I always think that, you know, as a sport, we're a little behind in, in accepting and, and taking on new practices and new routines. Um, and I just think it's been fresh to see a team who has really accepted what it is Gareth Southgate has tried to do in terms of bringing the squad together, in terms of working on their mindset, in terms of working on their confidence. And, you know, they're really seeing the fruits of that. You can see that in the displays. Particularly, I thought, when they played against Colombia, conceded in the last minute. Um, typically, you'd probably associate an English team with losing a hell of a lot of confidence, really struggling through extra time. But, you know, there was a real, you know, second wind in extra time. They looked as if they were kicking on and they went into the penalty shootout. And from my point of view... I always believed they were going to win. There was just that sense of confidence about the team. Um, you know, you could see Southgate rallying the troops before the penalty shootouts. You could see the focus, the deep breaths the players were taking, or were taking before the penalties. And all that work that they seem to have done in the lead-up to the tournament is really paying off. Yes, they've had a favourable route to the semi-final, but the games that they've gone into, they've been extremely focused. Everyone knows their jobs. The communication between management and players, between the media, is excellent. There's just a real togetherness about the squad. And, you know, it's it's football embracing these these new practices and, and taking it to the next level. And England have most certainly done that. 
What strikes me there, Enda, is what Paul was saying, the group. And, you know, I think of rugby, Irish rugby in that sense. It's the importance of the group ethos over any individual. Well, I guess it's easy to be smart and intelligent in hindsight. So I think psychologists refer to that as hindsight bias. And we look at things in the past that have worked well for England, and we now think they were all very smart because we predicted it. Well, actually, nobody predicted it. And we couldn't say that the English FA have got everything right because the reality about a year and a half ago or two years ago was Sam Allardyce was thrown out. So it was hugely fortunate that he was thrown out because obviously Southgate is a more rounded, more humble, probably better communicator with media and better communicator with team and all stakeholders. I would 100% agree with Paul's points that he's been more diligent and more comprehensive in his preparation, starting with the selection, as Paul alluded to. He's picked the right players. He didn't put Rooney in the squad. So that signified and symbolised that he wasn't going to put somebody in the squad who wasn't that new generation of professional. If you're going to win a World Cup, you need everybody in your environment. Staff, coaches, leaders, senior players, uh, younger players, squad members who will never feature on the pitch. You need everybody being an ultimate professional. Paul, you've played in a few dressing rooms. Um, you know, Can you attest to that, kind of knowing there's some players that maybe weren't pulling their weight fully and that affects the kind of dressing room dynamic? Yeah, listen, Dara, I played in every, every division outside the Premier League over in the UK and I played in some good League of Ireland teams as well. And what I found about the best teams that I played in is that everyone is pulling in the one direction. I was with the club in League Two. Uh, club went into administration and because of the power of the dressing room and the togetherness of the players, that actually spurred us on. You know, there was no, as they'd say, bad eggs. There was no one, you know, going about doing their own thing, out drinking the night before a game. Everybody was pulling in the same direction. And there was that togetherness about the squad that when things got really difficult and it was nil-nil or it was one-nil on a wet December day, it was everyone pulling together. It was a real tightness about the squad. And we ultimately went on and won League Two by a record number of points that season. So... What, what I found, and, and particularly about Gareth Southgate in, in regards to his England squad, is that he's only recently retired. You know, he's only retired 10 years, maybe. He understands the pressures um, that modern-day footballers are experiencing. He obviously had the misfortune of missing a penalty in the, in the European Championships at, a, I think it was quarter or semi-final stage. He knows, I guess, what players struggle with. And what I feel is he's just built that really good squad, you know, in regards to the players that he has, but also the staff that he's brought in. And he's done things well. He's done things properly. He's covered all bases. Um, and what he's managed to do is, like I said, with that team that I had in League Two, he's just managed to knit, which you don't always associate with international football, into a really well-structured and high-performing team. Interesting is one of the, the penalties. And we all know about the history of England and penalties and the failure there. Um, he was very upfront and open, and from you know when they qualified about practicing penalties, about the psychology needed to overcome failure, to overcome the likes of what they went through against Iceland, and he very much you know addressed it and kind of said, yeah, we're working on this, we're practicing penalties, we're doing this, um, and that seemed to kind of help them, did it, in terms of being so open uh, about what they needed to embrace. No matter what, this World Cup has been a very successful World Cup for England. They've surpassed most people's expectations and ambitions. Going back to the point about penalty preparation, 
I think it was a stroke of genius to tell everybody that they were working so much on penalties and in particular they were working so much on the psychological preparation because that sends out a message to every team that you play against that if this comes to penalties, we're ready. It's a bit like in warfare. If the opposition knows that you're ready to get into the trenches, that you have the strategy, you have the artillery, you have the troops to get in there and get very uh, deep into battle and be comfortable and be calm and control, and in particular to be resilient, your opposition are frightened. Whereas if your opposition are thinking you've done no preparation for the trenches, I'm talking here about the mental trenches, if your opposition thinks that you haven't done your due diligence on penalty technique, on penalty styles, on pre-penalty routines, then the opposition are going to be more confident. They're going to think we're going to take you down at penalty time. So I think that was a show of genius. Now to talk about it in the media is obviously very strong, but to do the work is more important. And they've clearly done the work. They've done the practice. And that practice, I would say, you could put into probably three or four key uh, pillars. The mental practice, the technical practice. Of course, you have to get your technique right so that each penalty kicker has to know it and be practicing thousands of hours on terms of the quality of their technical execution. Uh, part of that, of course, is the strategy part. You saw the English team, they knew exactly who was going to take what penalty when, whereas in previous championships, including the ones that Southgate played in, they didn't know who was going to hit the first penalty and who was going to hit the last one. So strategy, they're ready. And then finally, that cohesion. So it wasn't only one player ready to go on, on penalty time, but they had a cohesion where the squad, the psychologist, the coach, the captain, obviously Harry Kane, they had a cohesion and a unity of purpose at penalty time. Keyword there, I think unity of purpose as well. You know, whether it was penalties, whether it was, what, like you said, Paul, they knew what they were doing on the pitch. There's clarity there around what they have to do. The other thing that struck me as well was um, when they conceded that last-minute equaliser to Colombia, I saw shots of, there was shots of Gareth Southgate and he was telling the players, just calm down, relax. There was a shot then of Harry Kane. He was doing the exact same. They weren't letting it get to them. They were, they were, adversity was hitting them, but they were saying, bring it on. We're ready for the next step. We can take control again. Adversity is your greatest friend. In business, we're meeting CEOs, we're meeting C-suite executives every day of the week who are asking us, how do they create a more cohesive environment? How do they create that unity of purpose? Now, let's be straight. It is a hundred times more difficult to create a unity of purpose when you've got an organization that has a hundred thousand people. So creating a unity of purpose in an environment where you've got a maximum, what is it called, 25 players, 30 players? In a World Cup, it's got 20 players. 20 players. So think about the scale of difficulty for some of our clients, whether it's Microsoft or whether it's some of our indigenous Irish clients like AAB or even a, a business up in Belfast called Lagan Specialist Contracting Group, or maybe perhaps it's Fitbit or maybe it's Communicorp. What we find in those clients is they're asking, how do they get that unity of purpose in a company that's global? with people in Papua New Guinea or people in New York City or Singapore or Dublin or London or maybe even Chicago, whatever. That's much more difficult. However, the same principles and the same, let's say, approach that the English soccer team you could apply in your company. And Paul alluded to those, some of those really, really well. So ensuring that you've got the right people on your team, that also includes getting the wrong people off your team. I referred, of course, to Jim Collins, a good to great. Ensuring that there's a nice environment to work in or play in. Noticeably, the English soccer team are playing darts with the media. 
That's smart. What... When you're playing darts with somebody in the media, he's not going to write a scathing article about something you did in a nightclub three years ago or perhaps the fact you had two drinks in a nightclub during the World Cup because maybe the journalist has had that bottle of beer with you. That's very smart. He's also made sure he's the right, let's call it, executive team that supports the team on the pitch. In business, that's essential. It's always first who, then what. Get the right team and then think about what you're going to do. So this guy Southgate has the right team and you can notice the language that he's using in the media is scripted by a psychologist. You can almost read it out of a very good applied uh, performance psychology book. He's talking about writing their own story. In Armagh, way back in 1999, we were talking about writing our own script. So that's old school psychology uh, parlance. He's also talking about control the controllables. He's very much talking about we focus on the process and the performance. He's absolutely talking about, you know, we will, you know, make sure the environment is fun. They're playing darts. Yesterday I see them swinging a, a plastic turkey around a training, a, a bit bit like almost a, what would you call it, an old chase game. But by holding the plastic or a rubber turkey in your hand, it's even a bit more crack and banter than throwing a football. They were doing football tag, I noticed the other day in training. So they're making the environment fun. That applies in business. That applies in sport. That applies in any performance crucible. Because what does fun do, Dara? You mentioned earlier on, Pressure in a World Cup tournament. Well, the antidote to pressure is fun. When you're playing a fun game with your mates and you're swinging a toy turkey, it's going to absolutely alleviate stress and pressure and tension and nerves. Paul, would you agree? Have um, have you come across those kind of techniques as well in, in your own playing career? Not so much. As I said, football is very much playing catch-up on other sports. And I, I was, you know, never fortunate to, I guess, have any sort of that training. Any, any. Sorry, just on that, it's incredible to think, isn't it? You've played professionally in England to a high level and you never came across it. It just goes to show how far behind football is that we're talking about professional teams in England still having embraced this kind of um, training or techniques. Yeah, well, I always allude to my experiences in the UK and I, I tell people about when I made my debut, I was 21 playing in front of 30,000 people in Hillsborough against Leeds live on Sky Sports. And I was that high in confidence, I didn't even think of any of the factors that were going on around me. I was in that zone, there was a flow to my game. I knew exactly where everyone was around me. I knew what I was doing with the ball when I got it. And then I could fast forward maybe two and a half years and playing against Bolton and Hillsborough came on as a substitute. Um, and the stance just felt huge. Any touch I took, I felt as if it was a heavy touch. Any mistake I made, I could hear the oohs and ahs from the crowd. And there was no sort of training done for me in terms of when maybe I had, you know, momentary lapse in confidence or going through a difficult patch. I had no sort of tools and techniques to help me through that um, that difficult period. And like Enda said, and, and I alluded to there, having that bit of fun, I had nothing in my life other than the pressure of professional football. And when my confidence was down, it was all I was thinking about. I was going to bed thinking about it. I was training thinking about it. I was stepping out on the pitch thinking about it. And I had no sort of distraction or no technique or tool to take me away from that. Incredible to think, you know, when you think of modern day sport, 21st century, that, you know, it still wasn't being developed for professional footballers like yourself. Dara, I know people in the Premier League who are going through this and they are earning massive amounts of money and they'll allude to it and they'll say, listen, I'm actually struggling with my confidence. And people think and perceive because they're on such huge contracts and playing in such a, you know, decorated Premier League that they don't struggle with this. And I have people saying, yes, well, 
you know, we actually don't have a resource. We don't have, you know, someone who helps us with our performance, with our psychology, with our mentality, with our mindset. We don't have these resources. And that is just giving you further evidence as to how far behind the game is. And then finally, though, do you think what we've seen with Gareth Southgate, what he's managed to do with England and what other countries that you sent me, you mentioned Japan, are we going to see a sea change now with football going forward? That there's going that is this kind of a, a tournament that's going to mark a change for the development of the game in terms of how other teams can achieve success? I guess the next frontier in professional sport is inner space. In other words, what's going on in the brain? That's the next frontier. We know for the last 25 years there's been a serious evolution in terms of sports science. There's been huge progress made in the tactical evolution of the game and I guess Guardiola has been at the forefront of that. Even Southgate has slightly altered from a tactical point of view how the team goes about setting up. In the next 10 years, to be successful at any level in professional sport, you need to get your mental game right. It is fundamental. The mental game on its own will not be good enough if you don't have the culture right. The mental game and the culture will not be good enough if you don't have the right leaders. The mental game, the culture and the leaders won't be right unless you have, of course, got the right training, environment, facilities, science and so on. So one of those things on its own is worthless. It's bringing all of those key pillars of performance together. And that's one of the reasons why we're so excited about the work we're doing in the Premiership. That's why we're so excited about the work we're doing in pro rugby. And of course, that's why we're very excited about the work we're doing in professional golf at the moment. So exactly the scenario that Paul alluded to, we're now providing that support for people in all of those sports at the highest level. We're trying to do it in a very customized way. So it's not working with 200 teams. We're very focused. We're very specific. And the one ground rule we have in place is the same ground rule as we had when we started off working with like a young Luke Fitzgerald who featured on this podcast was, are the individuals or the teams 100% committed to being the best they can be? Now that sounds easy. The, the litmus test for us always is, have you trained on Christmas Day? How many days of the last month did you train? What has your nutrition been like? How many books are you currently reading? How many mental preparation sessions have you done in the last month? Have you got a mentor? Please show me your training plan. And after we ask a series of 25 questions, we normally know how committed they are. If they're walking into our performance practice here in Dublin, and if they're walking in and their body fat is uh, plus 12 or 12 or plus, if they're walking in and they don't have their water with them and their lunchbox with them and uh, perhaps their training diary with them and their mental training diary with them, if they're walking in with no clarity on their goals whatsoever, if they're walking in late to a meeting, and finally, if they're walking in with a sense, with a lack of purpose and ambition, we're not going to work with them. And just finally, I suppose, watching the World Cup, you realise how much you can enjoy it but how much you can actually learn as well that people might think next time they're watching a soccer match from whether it's Gareth Southgate or the World Cup final or whatever think of what was done to get there and what you can take similarly into your own life I suppose This has been a fascinating World Cup I've loved in particular watching let's say the new generation Mbappe has lit up this World Cup he's literally set fire to it he's a new global superstar in football he is a rock star as Paul mentioned earlier on, like himself, when he was playing in his early days, he was in the flow state. Mbappe isn't thinking. He's playing with an empty mind. As they say, he's playing as if his hair's on fire. I've loved that. And I've also loved how football is now 
broadcast all over the world using technology, using social media. So the business of sport has now been multiplied 100x. And I've been fascinated by the business side of the World Cup as well as the performance side. Paul, any final thoughts on the World Cup? No, just like Anders said there, Kylian Mbappe, he's, he's 19, he's playing the World Cup semi-finals if he's kicking the ball around with his mates on the street. Um, and it's been great to see this this new generation, uh, the new superstars coming through. And at the same time, seeing the likes of England, the likes of a Kieran Trippier, who you wouldn't normally associate as being a world-class player, stepping up to the plate. So, you know, it's been it's been a very interesting watch. There's been lots of twists and turns. Paul Leonard, thank you very much. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. And if you want to harness your strengths, develop a growth mindset, become more resilient and succeed, just go to mcnultyperformance.com for more insights and information.